The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. Uh, you'll note on the screen and in your bulletin that there are several scripture references this morning. Uh, but let me invite you to open up to Matthew's Gospel in chapter 22. Matthew 22, and we're looking at verses 41 and following. It's on page 828 of a Purack Bible. There's other Bibles there referenced. We're looking at three places in Scripture. Uh, uh, truthfully, we're making reference to many places in Scripture uh, because today we continue through our teaching series in the Apostles' Creed. We have come now to the article of Christ's enthronement. We have already said together, I believe in Jesus Christ, who is seated at God the Father Almighty's right hand. So that's what we're thinking about this morning. Uh, Christ seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Uh, we're going to be looking at several paces, Matthew 22, Matthew 26, Hebrews 1. So we're going to be doing a little bit of flipping. So even more reason for you to keep your Bible uh, open and, and following along. Uh, but as we hear the texts uh, this morning, I'm just going to be reading at the beginning from Matthew 22, and we will get to the other ones uh, as we progress, as we consider Christ ascended and seated and reigning. And what a great topic to think about on the Lord's Day. Let us pray and then hear God's Word. Heavenly Father, we ask now that you would send your Spirit upon us, that as we read the Scriptures and their testimony of Jesus, your Son, Heaven's King, that, that we would likewise in our hearts crown Him as Lord of all, Lord of our lives. Lord, help us to both read and understand this truth and also to receive it and confess it with joy. Christ triumphant, heaven's King. Lord, come now and bless the reading and hearing and proclamation of your word to all of our hearts. We ask in that name which is above every name, even the name of Jesus. Amen. And now hear the word of God at Matthew 22, at verse 41. Jesus is here in this moment interacting with the Pharisees who are trying to stump Jesus and make him utter false teaching. Jesus is going to, in this passage, demonstrate his comprehension of the Old Testament is far greater than the Pharisees. Psalm 22, or excuse me, Matthew 22 at verse 41, this is the Word of God. Now when the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, who do you think, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. And he said to them, how is it then that David in the spirit calls him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word. Nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. We are considering this morning, again, that article of the creed that Christ sat down at the Father's right hand. The short way of saying that is this is called Christ's heavenly session. To say that Christ 
is in his session is to say that Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. And that's because the word session comes from the Latin verb sessio, which means to sit. So Christ is in his session at the Father's right hand in his glory. This is the second to last phase of Christ's exaltation, namely that Christ is resurrected and 40 days after his resurrection, he ascends into heaven and then he sits at the Father's right hand there to wait the final aspect of his exaltation, namely his glorious appearing in his second coming, which we will look at, Lord willing, next week. But as we consider the sitting down of Christ, we are considering the glory of Jesus in heaven as heaven's King and your Savior and mediator. The one who is at the right hand is the one that the King designates to rule and dominion at, with preeminence and honor. This is, for the Christian believer, one of the most comforting truths that you could possibly reflect on. To think that you have a King in heaven as a Savior who you know who is there for you and on your behalf is something that is filled with so much glory that it seems almost impossible for us to adequately summarize in a short amount of time, but that's just our challenge to summarize what this means in a short amount of time. So what we're going to do is we're going to consider what does it mean that Christ is seated at the Father's right hand? What does that say about Him? And also, what does it mean for you and I to have Jesus in heaven on the throne reigning for us? So what does it mean and what does it matter for us that Christ has sat upon heaven's throne? Well, we want to say what it means, several things. It means that Jesus, as sitting down at the Father's right hand, is proving and giving evidence that He is God. Proving and giving evidence of His divinity. We're here in Matthew 22. And in Matthew 22, Jesus is interacting with the Pharisees who have been throughout Jesus' entirely earthly ministry trying to trap Him, asking Him all sorts of questions, thinking that they can stump Jesus. Jesus has, at this point, had enough of their finicky and annoying questions, trying to trap him. Jesus has a question for them. Essentially, he's saying to them, you've been asking me all these questions. It's time now for me to be the questioner. The Pharisees refused to acknowledge Jesus' true divinity. Jesus shows them how much they do not understand about the Messiah by quoting a very important psalm in the Old Testament, Psalm 110. What you see in verse 44, there in the indented portions, is a citation of Psalm 110, verse 1. And what Jesus is doing is that he is, in a sense, asking the Pharisees, saying, what do you know about what the Old Testament says about the Messiah? What do you know about what the Old Testament says about who the Christ is? And they answered him correctly in verse 42, saying that the Christ, the Messiah, would be a son of David. They're right about that. The Messiah is a son of David. So Jesus further asks them then in verse 43, 
How is it then that David, in the Spirit, calls him Lord? He is quoting Psalm 110, verse 1, where David says, The Lord says to my Lord. Jesus is saying, isn't that interesting? How is it that David, the great king, could call his son his Lord? We don't think about fathers and sons in that way. The son is not the Lord of the father. Try as they might be, maybe in an earthly sense. Jesus is here saying, though, that David is saying that his son is his Lord. Now, to Jesus, that means something very important. How is it that David can call his son his Lord? The answer, in quick fashion, is because David's son is God's son. The Messiah is not just the son of David. He is the son of God. And so for David to call him Lord, it's because the son of David is greater than David. He's the son of God. He's David's Lord. He's greater than David. When Jesus quotes Psalm 110 which the Pharisees knew to be describing the Messiah, Jesus says, that's talking about me. That's who I am. I'm David's true son. I'm David's Lord. But the Messiah, they refused to acknowledge. The Pharisees looked at Jesus and said, no, that's not who you are. They didn't understand what Jesus is saying. Jesus is here saying, I'm David's true son. I'm the Messiah, the Son of God. I am the Messiah. And they didn't understand that. You see in verse 46, it said, nobody. They didn't know what to say. You ever been totally stumped? With not a word to say? That's how Jesus leaves these Pharisees. The ones who thought they knew something about the Old Testament. Jesus says, it's clear that you don't. Because that's talking about me. Later on in Pentecost, Peter would say in Acts 2.36, Let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made Him Lord and Christ. Jesus, whom you killed, God has raised up and then brought into heaven's throne and sat Him down as Christ and King and Ruler. But the Jews failed to acknowledge. And so, to Jesus, this represents His divinity. It proves that He is God. Now, this continued to be a stumbling block for them. Come forward with me into Matthew 26. In Matthew 26, specifically at verses 59 to 64, where we find Jesus uh, on trial. The, the Jewish Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court of the Jewish faith, if you will, has declared that Jesus is a blasphemer because he has called himself the Messiah. They have declared that this man is worthy of death. They want to say that you are guilty and then deliver him over to the Roman Empire so they can have him executed because if this man claims to be the king of the Jews, then that is a threat both to the Jews and to the Romans because he's saying he's a king. The Jewish council wants Jesus to incriminate himself and accuse him of blasphemy and then haul him off to the Roman authorities. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew 26. Look at verse 59. It says, Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death. But they found none 
though many false witnesses came forward. At the last two came forward and said, This man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? And what do you see Jesus doing? He says nothing. Verse 63, Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Verse 64, Jesus said to him, You have said so. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Verse 65 says, Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. When Jesus responds to their inquisition, demanding that he say who he is, he quotes to them from Daniel chapter 7, written 600 years prior to Christ coming to the earth. Daniel chapter 7, which references the Son of Man who was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that He should reign over all people. Jesus says, that's me. I am the Son of Man. You will see me coming with the glory of my Father as I reign from heaven. But to the Jews, this was blasphemous because Jesus was saying, I'm God. I'm the Messiah. I am the true Son of Man. I am the one who will be worshipped and rule over all kingdoms. It's no wonder that the high priest tore their robes and said it's blasphemy. But it wasn't blasphemy. It's a true declaration because Jesus is here saying, I am the Messiah. I am the Lord. I am heaven's King. And you will see it. You will see it. This is the way the New Testament speaks of Jesus now that had we been on earth in His incarnation, the Jews would have looked at Him and we would have looked at Him in the same way, not seeing Him as very impressive. In fact, the prophet Isaiah said He wasn't much to look at at all. He was a man of sorrows. He wasn't much that we should fix our gaze upon. But this was the Messiah, God's true Son and Heaven's Lord. And they didn't see it in His humiliation, but by His death and resurrection and ascension, the Bible says that He now reigns from Heaven's throne. So according to the book of Hebrews, Go there to Hebrews chapter 1. See it with me. Hebrews chapter 1 speaks of Jesus that after making purification for sins, Hebrews 1 verse 3 says, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Where is the Lord Jesus? The answer is, He is in heaven reigning as heaven's king, reigning over all things, reigning over His kingdom that the church represents here on earth. So, let's be very clear. The Apostles' Creed says what the Bible teaches, that Jesus Christ is seated at the Father's right hand, reigning in heaven over all things. So, let's ask the question, what does that mean? What does that mean for us, the church? What does that mean for the whole world? And I think we're sometimes tempted to think, you know, I like to sit down, right? 
I'm tired at the end of the day. I just want to sit down, put my feet up, and take a rest. And we associate oftentimes sitting down with not doing anything in such a way that we might be tempted to think, well, Jesus has just gone to heaven to rest. Thinking perhaps that his being seated in heaven is to represent his rest and doing nothing as if to suggest it's his passive reception of divine dominion, power, majesty, and glory, but not doing anything. No, no, no. When Jesus sits down in heaven, he sits down to get to work. Because as he reigns from heaven's throne, he is doing very important things. The work of Christ as reigning from heaven can be summed up in these three ways of ruling from heaven's throne as prophet, priest, and king. And we want to explain what that means, but your eternal salvation is not secured in just Jesus dying. No, it's secured by his dying and rising and ascending and reigning. It's all important for your forgiveness of sins. And so the fact that Jesus is there in heaven is deeply important for us as Christians because if he just dies, there's no salvation. If he just dies and just rises, there's no salvation. He must die and rise and ascend and reign and return to be the Messiah that God promises. So what does it mean? These categories might not sound immediately practical, but they summarize the work of Christ as prophet, priest, and king. And we'll think about them as king, priest, and prophet. So, what does Christ sitting down on heaven's throne mean for you? It means, first of all, that Christ is king. That seems very obvious at first as we think of heaven's throne, we associate with royalty, and we think of Jesus seated on a throne. It's most natural to think of his work as a king. But what does it mean to say that Jesus reigns as king from heaven's throne? It means that Jesus Christ has the authority of all heaven given to him. All the forces of heaven are at his command. The angels are his messengers, ready to convey his blessings and messages to the saints to guard the saints from all danger and to minister strength to them and to protect them. Jesus says to the church in Laodicea in Revelation 3.21, I have conquered and I have sat down. And by my conquering authority, I now rule over all things. That means that Jesus reigns over his kingdom and his kingdom is a kingdom of grace. Jesus exercises authority over all dominions. Jesus exercises authority over all the forces of nature, even devastating hurricanes, even straight-line winds. Jesus exercises dominion over all things, both in the realm of nature. Jesus exercises dominion over all of the evil forces that stand opposed to his kingdom that are not equal opposite foes, but rather lesser foes that he will one day, the Bible says, put under his feet as Jesus reigns from heaven's throne, putting his feet up on all his enemies like a footstool reigning over all things, all evil forces, all wickedness, all sin, all his enemies. 
and one day to return to exercise the fullness of his dominion as he brings his kingdom to earth. Now that's next week. We're not there yet. But here we are considering the fact that Jesus reigns exalted in heaven. The fact that Jesus reigns exalted as heaven means what the Bible says is that Jesus is the head of his church. Let me ask you a very practical question. Who's in charge here? Not me. You understand that? Not our elders. Jesus. What a simple question, though. But do you understand the damage that comes upon churches that don't understand that? When people rise up and say, no, 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 no. I'm in charge here. What I say goes. My opinion matters. Most. Jesus Christ is the head of His church. He reigns here. He is the one who is in charge here. His opinion matters more than anyone else. His word is of greater authority than the whims and fancies of the culture and the trends and fashions, no matter how effective they might seem in the eyes of the world. Jesus is in charge in His church. And by reigning as King and being the head of His church, Jesus mediates His authority by placing earthly officers to represent Him. As He reigns in heaven, He places earthly officers in the church to represent Him. Do you know that's why we call a session a session? Because the session of elders sit to mediate Christ's authority who sits in heaven. The elders in session represent the divine authority of Jesus as king in the church. The elders therefore function not to represent their own opinions, not to represent the majority opinions of the congregation, not to represent the minority opinions of the congregation. The questions that the elders ask is, what is the will of Christ in his church? The first duty of the elder, our book of government says, is to represent the mind of Christ. Elders mediate Christ's authority. Godly elders are a blessing to the church. Ungodly elders are a plague upon the church. Because ungodly elders say, no, 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 I'm in charge. But a session of elders who in humble unity seek the mind of Christ are a balm and blessing to the church. This is why Christ has established the authority structure He has in the church. And also, very practically speaking, this is why from time to time, we haven't done this for a number of months, but maybe you remember, we used to organize our communion services in such a way that we put chairs out here facing outward. In the Reformed tradition, we do that, and these fancy-looking chairs up here that are very uncomfortable to sit in, by the way, but they look very authoritative, those are called elders' chairs. And elders sit in these chairs that face that way. They face the congregation because the session, especially at the Lord's Supper, sits down in them and looks outward upon the congregation to represent the, the physical embodiment of the mediatorial authority of Christ in His church to look over you and your family, to care for you and your family, to be the first line of spiritual defense for seeking the good of your family in prayer. 
to love you and serve you as Jesus loves you and serves you as he reigns from heaven. I have an elder's chair in my office from the church that my grandfather served in as a ruling elder. It's very precious to me. But because Christ reigns in heaven, because Christ is the head of his church, he rules over his church and mediates his authority by way of the elders who represent the authority of Christ as king. Jesus is king in his church. Secondly, the session of Christ reigning from heaven means that Christ is reigning from heaven as your true priest. In the Protestant tradition, we don't call people like me priests. On purpose. Because the Bible says that Jesus is the true priest. Jesus is the true priest. When Jesus says, when he dies, it is finished, he means not his work, he means that his suffering is finished. When Jesus ascends to heaven and sits down on the throne, he gets to work as priest where he, as a priest, continually presents before his Father the completion of his sufferings to represent the satisfaction for my sins and for yours. Jesus goes to heaven to plead the authority and effectiveness of his blood and life on your behalf. What does that mean? It means that when we declare on the Lord's Day the assurance of pardon, when I say the gospel is true, your sins are forgiven in Jesus' name, it's because Christ is in heaven declaring the worth and value and efficacy and effectiveness and accomplishment of his suffering and death. He pleads the power of his blood for your forgiveness. What that means is that the Father's eye is turned away from your rebellion and sin. The Father's eye is turned away from your disobedience to behold the obedience, the perfect obedience and suffering and satisfaction of Jesus. Because Jesus is in heaven, seated on the throne, it means that the Father in heaven doesn't look upon your sin. He doesn't look upon your failure. He doesn't look upon your disobedience. He does not look upon your sin because you have a Savior in heaven who is your great high priest pleading the merits of his blood, making intercession for you. That means he pleads the power of his blood there in heaven. It also means, the Bible says, that he makes intercession for you. He prays for you. Have you ever had somebody said, I'm praying for you? And it meant something to you, didn't it? To know that somebody was praying for you. The Bible says, dear Christian, that Jesus is in heaven doing that very thing, praying for you. Jesus is in heaven interceding for you, making our prayers and service acceptable before God. Do you ever feel like your prayers are bouncing off of some ceiling, right? Like they're not going to get there because you're saying them wrong, you're not meeting the main thing, or you can't get it out just right, and you feel like something's wrong, and, and God doesn't hear my prayers. The Bible says because Jesus is seated at the Father's right hand. The Father always hears your prayers. Always. And Jesus sits at the Father's right hand and perfects your prayers. The prayers that you feel like you're, you're not saying them right, you know, and they don't come out right, Jesus perfects all your prayers at the Father's right hand. He does not plead before you uh, for, uh, for your sake before an, a reluctant Father. It's not as if the Father is in heaven 
and hearing the sons pleading and thinking, maybe I'll listen to you. No, the Father gladly received the intercession of the Son on your behalf. What that means, dear Christian, is that your prayer is always, always, always heard because of Jesus. Because He is your great high priest, all of your prayers are heard in heaven. The way this is described in the Old Testament is that the great high priest would go into the holies of holies and he would wear a, a wonderful breastplate with 12 jewels upon it. And those 12 jewels represented the 12 tribes of Israel. And it was as if the great high priest was carrying the people of God upon his breast as he went into the holy places. But, but, but this is what Jesus has done as the great high priest. Jesus Christ has your name written upon his heart and there takes your name into the glories of heaven's throne and represents you in that place. Jesus takes your name and your prayers to heaven's throne and there prays for you in our place and on our behalf. What a thought that is. That Christ, as our great high priest, pleads the power of His blood and the effectiveness of His intercessory prayers for you. He is there as King. He is there as priest. And He is there as prophet. King and priest and prophet. There as prophet, He reveals the will of God to us by sending us the Holy Spirit to teach us, to guide us. Jesus is there reigning in heaven and sending the Holy Spirit to guide the ministry of the apostles who will by the inspiration record with authority the Word of God so that you as a Christian can have the Bible. And when you read the Bible and when you sit under the Bible's teaching, God is, through His Son, mediating His prophetic authority to teach you the truth, to encourage you in the truth, to build you up in the truth because you're constantly being assailed with other opinions. You're constantly being told that this is the way to go and this is what is true and this is the way to live and this is what approved in the eyes of the world. And when you sit under the ministry of the Word of God, Jesus is upon heaven's throne by His prophetic authority saying to you, this is what is true. This is reality. Jesus Christ is there by the ministry of the apostles and then through the ministry of the gospel in both word and sacrament to declare to you the gospel, to build you up in the gospel, to strengthen you in the gospel. When the word of God is ministered to our hearts and to our souls, Christ is exercising his prophetic authority. Jesus has gone to heaven to get to work to reign as king, to exercise intercession as our great high priest, and to teach in prophetic ways to declare the truth of God. Dear church, this is what we believe. This is what the Christian church teaches about where Jesus is and what he is doing. And do you see how much it matters? Do you see how beneficial it is for you to have a savior in heaven doing these various things? Let me say this very clearly, almost in introductory fashion to next week though, but also by way of conclusion. You and I live in this age where Christ reigns from heaven and His kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. But the Bible teaches that this age isn't going to last forever. The Bible says that one day Jesus is going to come down from His throne again and return to earth 
to exercise the fullness of his dominion and what it means to be a Christian. Listen to me very carefully. What it means to be a Christian is to have Jesus exercising the dominion of his authority and of his kingdom in your heart now. To say Jesus is Lord and King and Christ and Messiah and Savior of me and my family now. And by God's grace, the church bears witness to that spiritual kingdom as we gather to say that corporately. And one day Christ will return to finish that work as prophet and priest and king. But until that day, we have the ministry now. Christ reigns now. And it is a joy to us who love Him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we rejoice that You have enthroned Your Son upon Heaven's throne. We rejoice in His authority. We rejoice in His kingdom. We pray that He might reign upon our church, in our lives and in our families as we believe the truth. Lord, now as we both receive the Gospel proclaimed and the Gospel made visible in the sacraments, reign in our hearts, we pray. In the power of Christ's exalted name, we ask it. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit edgingtonepc.org. May God bless and keep you.